Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we are joined by Fernando and Mark, the CEO and COO of SBI, digital assets based out of Tokyo, Japan. And we're going to find out more about what digital assets scene looks like in Japan, what SBI is doing in Europe and uh, plans for the future and obviously their vision of the digital assets ecosystem, whether in Japan, Asia or, or worldwide. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to hear more about how this sort of ecosystem looks like from a Japanese perspective. So welcome, Fernando and Mark. How are you today? Thank you, Rudy, for having us today and, you know, giving us a chance to share with all your audience uh, more about what SBI is doing uh, mainly in Asia, but also our, you know, initial steps uh, beyond the Asian market and mainly in Europe and the U.S. Great. No, thank, thank you very much, Rudy. I uh, appreciate your time today. Great, thank you. So, Fernando and Mark, can you describe your journey which led you to Japan and SBI specifically? I mean, obviously, you're not uh, Japanese, so how did you end up in Tokyo? Yeah, so I'm originally from from Spain, and since you know, my college days, I became involved in open source. I was one of the, you know one of those geeks. Basically, in the late '90s, I became one of the core developers of Linux, the, the Linux kernel. Eventually, you know, I was invited to the kernel summits with Linux Torvalds and all the what we call open source and yet set. That was, you know, right after you know the this IT bubble burst. I decided I needed a change. It was not easy to find a challenging jobs in Europe, so I got an offer from the. Japanese government to work in in Japan and open source and CyberSec. It was supposed to be just for one year, you know, but one thing leads to another. I I got an offer to be the head of entities open source software center, where I had a, a good chance to make a significant uh, contribution to the popularization of open source and, and Linux in, in general. I was one of the you know funding members of the Linux Foundation and also made significant contributions to the cloud computing and also the enterprise Linux software in general. And it's a pretty small world. Many of the people who were kind of working with me back in the day in open source ended up becoming maintainers of Bitcoin. And then 2016, 17, I decided that, you know, I wanted to try something else. I've been, had been working on, you know, in IT for more than a decade. Through, you know, a common friend, I got to know Kitaosa, who's the chairman of the whole SBI group. We met, uh, we clicked and actually got an offer within minutes. And that's how I ended up working for SBI. Great. And Mark, uh, how did you get to Japan? And also, how did you get to SBI? Well, uh, my mind's less geeky than Fernando's. I come more from the financial services institutional world. So I was originally working in London and then I heard that there was an opportunity to work for the, the now infamous Lehman Brothers over here in Japan. 
So I, I was working on the IT side, but really focused more on the growth markets and, and what we can do. And so throughout my career there, I was really kind of uh, trying to drive new initiatives around things like equity trading, low latency trading, which was still very new to the region back then. And then uh, decided to... to uh, move over to Namura once the bankruptcy uh, of Lehman Brothers occurred. And uh, me and uh, part of my team were able to to build a market-leading uh, quantifying brokerage business. And so that really led into the way um, of moving over to JP Morgan and trying to establish the same type of business model over at JP. But then um, working in the financial services in- industry for such a long time, I decided that I wanted to uh, have a break and do something different. And so at that same time, I was offered by a close friend of mine in California to uh, help establish his startup business over in uh, the APAC region. And so uh, me and just me uh, had to start really building that business out from nothing over here in Japan and Asia-Pac. And now that, that company is continuing to grow very strongly over here in the region. And uh, through my uh, financial services days, I'd already uh, know SBI very well. And SBI reached out to me asking if I'd be interested um, in working for them. And uh, here we are today and uh, now trying to, uh, trying to grow the digital asset space. All right. Wow, great. So uh, can you also tell us a little bit about SBI Holdings, right? Of course, uh by now, you're independent from SoftBank for a long time. But, you know, can you explain a little bit of the roots of the company to uh, the audience? The, the current um, chairman and CEO of the SBR group, uh, Kitao uh, Yoshitaka, uh, was the CFO of SoftBank uh, for many years. Actually, he, he was the person uh, who did all the, all the heavy lifting when they, you know, the SoftBank became a public company. But around uh, 1999, Kitao-san basically wanted to focus more on the investment side of things. So he decided along uh, with Son-san, the CEO of Sunbank, uh, to set up a new investment arm. And that was called uh, Sunbank Investments. It was really successful from the very beginning. So they managed to get listed in, in JASDAQ in the year 2000. Four years later, in 2006, kitao basically bought all this stock that uh, Sunbank is still um, had uh, of you know in some bank investments and became completely independent of the some of the some bank group so as of today some bank is uh, doesn't own any equity but that said we still have a really good uh, relationship with them we help them in some cases with uh, you know projects related to the to the vision fund and we also have commercial agreements in many areas so we still you know part of the same family in a way but there's no uh, in terms of capital uh, there's no uh, relationship uh, within each other anymore. All right, understood. So what does SBI Holdings do today and uh, why did you venture out to digital assets? So the reason we ventured out into the digital, the digital asset space is really because we really see this as the next stage of growth for the financial services marketplace. Um, as you've seen over the years, the financial markets have really evolved um, from the days of uh, people shouting in, in, in the pen uh, to electronic trading. And now I think the digital asset element of it is really a way of uh, the next step of doing financial service business where firms are realizing the potential of uh, lowering costs internally, um, fastening transactional speeds, 
um, and also improving trust and reliability around things like AML and KYC as well. And from SBI's point of view, because we have the benefit of having oversight of all areas of financial services, we see a real benefit of how it can not only impact in a positive manner um, SBI's internal businesses, but also what we can generate from a technology point of view uh, to benefit external companies as well. Right. Okay. And Fernando, do you want to add anything? SBI has been quite ambitious from, from the beginning, just like SoftBank, right? We're quite aggressive. And one of the, our goals is to create a, a, an actual global uh, financial market. And a big part of that is we see uh, as kind of a big roadblock uh, to, to get there is the fact uh, that things like KYC checks and ML checks cannot be passported across um, jurisdictions. Even, uh, let's say, you're in Japan, you have a, an account with a Mitsuko bank, and then you go to the US or you go to Switzerland, and you turn to open an account with the, same bank account, with the same bank, right? You still need to redo all the checks. And even within the European Union, uh, people are saying that you're within the EU, that kind of thing shouldn't happen, but, but that's not the case, right? So within the fintech technology, right, by enabling financial institutions right, to keep track of you know, who's doing what, uh, and, and also uh, keeping track of the ownership of digital assets, right? It will make it possible uh, sometime in the, in the future to seamlessly move between jurisdictions and remove all that friction that we still think exists in the, the, in the, in the financial markets. So we are aware that this is going to uh, take a while, uh, but here for uh, the long run, we are fully committed and we are looking for like-minded partners in all the key um, uh, jurisdictions that uh, we care about. All right. So for people from outside in, can you describe what's the status of, say, blockchain, crypto, or digital asset scene in Japan? And what's the outlook for each of those components in your view? Yeah. So when it comes to uh, blockchain, uh, we are finally uh, moving uh, you know, beyond the POC stage. And now let me give you a, you know, a concrete example. Trade finance. Trade finance uh, has been stuck, uh, you know, uh, with technology from the 70s, 80s, uh, super inefficient, and uh, things like, you know, uh, getting uh, a loan for uh, one of the the parties in, in the supply chain uh, can take anywhere from a few days to weeks, right? And the thing is that by using blockchain technology and making all the stakeholders in the in the supply chain aware of what each other is doing right and by bringing visibility could optimize all the business processes right and there are it's not only SBI who realized that and there's a big opportunity there one of the japanese mega banks uh, called SNBC decided to to join a joint venture with SBI set up with R3 called SBI R3 and the reason they did that is that they want to build with us a next generation trade finance uh, platform and, and again, this is one of the mega banks in Japan, right? They're fully committed. We are having pretty aggressive timelines to go live sometime uh, in the next fiscal year. Maybe the, the main roadblock here can be the governance side of things, because now we have a, you know distributed applications. And we need to come up with a legal framework that makes sense for all the stakeholders in, in, in this ecosystem. Okay, so this was the blockchain application in trade finance, but what about the cryptocurrencies of Japan? I mean, do people pay with Bitcoin or, or not and uh, digital assets and 
is tokenization uh, popular? Of course, you know you can read up on it, but I'm interested in your your take on this. Yeah, honestly, when it comes to crypto, honestly, uh, is is mainly a speculation. Even in Japan, there are some places in, in Tokyo where you can use crypto to to do uh, uh, payments. And the reason for that is this: it it is so volatile. So people just want to keep the you know the the crypto and with expectation to make a, a profit. Uh, and down the road, and, and that said, and I think that one of the reasons it's so much as speculation, there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, uh, regulations. That said, the FSA in Japan is kind of doing a, a decent job. Uh, finally, for things like uh, custody services, right? They came up with some uh, guidelines, uh, new laws that were passed in in May that uh, determine that an entity wants to offer custody services, you need to have a, either a banking license or a crypto exchange license, right? So we see the FSA, the government kind of trying to put some, some more structure and controls. So there are no more, you know, coin checks and, and people feel more comfortable investing in, in crypto. We are not quite there yet. Being so volatile and we are still not seeing uh, actual adoption for cases like payments, like you just said. But I'll let Mark elaborate on that. Yeah, Mark, maybe if you talk about tokenization and also your vision for digital assets uh, ecosystem. Absolutely. I mean, I think tokenization here in Japan is just getting started. The FSA over here are looking how to best regulate it. Um, Japan currently is coming from the approach of really focusing more on the professional traders rather than more the retail clients in terms of being able to access the token market. Um, however, I think I think that will change going forward. I think if you have a look at what MAS are doing in Singapore and what Buffin are doing in Germany, um, what they're doing is that they're, they're allowing retail to have access to these type of tokens. However, they are putting certain max limits on uh, how much you can invest in a particular token at any one point in time. So I, I think Japan may potentially go there in the future, but right now they're taking the opposite approach and putting high barriers of entry um, so that retail clients can't really get into this space. But we are seeing more and more um, opportunities for tokenization here in Japan. Um, there's a number of uh, banks which are looking to tokenize some of their um, existing bond products. And obviously, um, as you see in the rest of the world, uh, real estate seems to be kind of a common uh, theme for uh, tokenizing. And, and that's also the same here in Japan. Right. And uh, so what is your vision then for the ecosystem? I mean, and your role in this, right? Uh, whether that's in Japan or globally. So for us, we, we cover all areas of digital. Um, we, we cover digital assets, we do digital banking, and we do digital payments. And if you look at the very long-term picture, we want to be able to kind of merge all three into one. So it's one uh, conglomerate system that uh, talks seamlessly to each other. But obviously, that's a long, long way down the road. Um, so up until then, as part of the journey, focusing more on the digital asset side, uh, what we want to try and achieve is really focusing more on institutional uh, marketplace rather than the retails per se. Uh, we see right now globally that there is still a reluctance for institutional clients to really kind of get their feet wet uh, when it comes to, to trading digital assets in general. And from clients that we've spoken to, part of that reason is because they don't really have that element of trust to some of the firms out there that are trying to offer similar type of solutions. So what we want to try and achieve from our ecosystem is really to produce this all-in-one ecosystem that institutional clients can connect into 
and we can provide them similar services as you would in the modern day as a, as a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan would be able to offer in the traditional product space. We want to be able to that we want to be able to offer that type of solution uh, for the digital asset space globally. Yeah, and let me uh, elaborate on that. Uh, I'd like to mention that uh, we are aware of the fact that we cannot do all of these by ourselves globally, right? I think we can be leading uh, all these initiatives in Japan, but when it comes to Europe, US, Southeast Asia, uh, we need partners. So that's why um, in, in Europe, we are partnering uh, with the you know, stock exchange of, of Stuttgart. And that's why and have a, a foothold. Also in Singapore, we are working with a certain <laughs> European entity to, to do the same. We'll be doing the same in the US, right? We are looking for like-minded, reputable partners in all the key jurisdictions so we can build this global data asset ecosystem. Right. So I know you made some important uh, partnerships, agreements, and also acquisitions in Europe, right? So what's what was the rationale for these as a case study, right? And not as a broad theme, but for example, as you mentioned, the Stuttgart Exchange or or, or others, right? So the reason we part with the Borshi Stuttgart is that when it comes to looking for partners, trust is one of the key factors. As as Mark said, it's not that I have anything against you know small startups, but when it comes to dealing with you know retail, big institutional investors, right? You need to take care of all the boring stuff, meaning things like proper KYC. Uh, proper AML checks, risk management, uh, compliance. That's not something that you can learn, you know, in, in, in a few months or a few years. Even you know how to do it, right? You still need to be able to convince the regulators in all the different countries, right, to give you the licenses, the, the licenses that you will need to offer the financial services that we want to be offering down the road. So we really think that, uh, and this might be counterintuitive, we think it's going to be the incumbents actually leading the fintech revolution because the, only the incumbents, right, understand what it takes to run a financial service. And that, that's uh, not an easy task, right? So that's why we're looking for these kind of reputable partners, but they're also willing to disrupt themselves, just like we are doing here in Japan. All right. So you mentioned the partnerships, etc. You're yourself, in a way, uh, are not a startup anymore, right? Uh, but uh, what were the key milestones that you hit on your journey when you were building out this business that you're the most proud of? So for us, obviously, we can't accomplish everything at the same time. So we had to really focus on where do we want to start this journey? And so for us, we focus primarily on the custody side of the business. Uh, so we now have a very secure custody-related product that's tied into the digital asset space that's primarily focused for institutional clients, although it can also be tailored to the retail market as well. Uh, one thing that we are proud of is that we were able to get full insurance from uh, Lloyds of London, um, which uh, one, we are one of the very few companies that have been able to achieve that. So that in itself um, kind of gave us the seal of approval in terms of the type of quality products that we're building. Because for us, as we are part of SBI, we have to make sure that we're maintaining the reputation of the group. And so everything that we're producing has to be of a high caliber, but also secure. And so this is one of the key areas that we've been most proud of to date is the build out of that custody solution. 
Now, the next phase is obviously focusing now onto the STO business and all of the other areas um, that we are going to look to tie in with uh, with relations to uh, STOs. And uh, we, we've already got some exciting projects on the way that um, the, the wider community should uh, hear more about um, early next year. Fernando and, and, and you, Mark, you talked about the partnerships and the acquisitions and the importance of trust. But, you know, you've also made some acquisitions and sometimes it, it was uh, perhaps for capability reasons or technology, right? So I'm just also interested, how do you judge uh, emerging technology, right? Uh, whether that's something that is enterprise grade that uh, you can use for your institutional clients or not. How do you go about this? So when we do the uh, consider an acquisition or an investment in a you know tech startup in this fintech space, uh, I mean for us the technological expertise is a given, right? We we do any due diligence and they don't meet our standards, we just you know pass on that. But that's not enough. I always uh, make sure that the CEO understands that and technology is just a means to an end. Here, in our case, we are trying to build, uh, you know, the next generation uh, financial services, right? And in some cases, it might make sense to use whatever technology they develop. But in others, you know, maybe we should stay with the legacy. That maybe might be uh, good enough, right? So um, for us, it's business comes first, right? Uh, this is not R&D. Uh, we are building uh, financial plumbing. And this is going to be like utility. So we need to use whatever makes sense at any given time. All right. Well, thank you. That's clear. Uh, well, look, I mean, we are in 2020, so there's no way not to talk about pandemic, at least uh, to some extent. So a lot of people say that uh, in terms of digital transformation, the pandemic will accelerate the trends that were already here, right? So in uh, your world, in terms of you know custody and digital assets and things like this, uh, what have you observed so far? Are, you know, were people distracted or are people interested even more uh, in your projects or how do you see the, f- the future um, impacted by the pandemic of this year? Okay. Um, I, I definitely think the pandemic has uh, impacted certainly the, the high-touch sales side of the business. Um, a lot of what we do, um, especially when working with potential clients, it's much easier to whiteboard a solution than it is to try and do it over video conference and uh, over presentations. That that human interaction um, is still, I feel, a critical part of trying to get uh, new technologies such as this driving forward and actually implemented into the space. Um, what we're also finding is a lot of firms right now, because of the pandemic, have kind of very dramatically slowed down uh, the amount of money they're willing to invest right now into some of the new technologies because no one knows how long this is going to last. No one knows what the true economic impact is going to be on their business. And so they're taking a slightly more cautious approach right now. However, from the feedback that we have from clients is they're still extremely interested in this. And whilst they may not have the budgets like they had 12 months ago to put necessary resources in place, they still see um, a financial benefit of moving in this direction. And just to kind of uh, mention one example that we're actually uh, working on right now 
is we're, we're working very closely with a particular industry um, that unfortunately we can't go into too much details on. Um, however, by implementing uh, an STO related business for what they're looking at, they can see a dramatic price improvement of how their current business works. And so for them, in actual fact, they're looking to move this this forward uh, in a more accelerated pace because the sooner they can roll this out, the quicker their their revenue and their their balance sheets um, get improved upon. So it's kind of uh, dependent on the overall industry, I would say. I think financial services as a whole has kind of put it put it on a slower burn, but there are other industries that are actually accelerating because of this pandemic. All right. So thank thank you, Mark and Fernando. So, uh, you know, I also would like to uh, be able to tell people where they can find out more about you, how what's the best way to reach reach you, but also what kind of people would be the most relevant for you in your join in your journey going forward and building out the business, right? So where can interested parties reach you, right? No, absolutely. So I, I think the easiest way is uh, to obviously uh, reach out through the contact section of the website. Um, we will try and respond as quickly as we can to uh, to any type of request. I think one of the key areas is we're always open to looking at new ideas and new initiatives. Um, for us, we don't want to be curtailed into one small section. Um and we're, we're at the moment working with some very interesting companies on some ideas that they've they've got into them that they want to bring into the marketplace, um, but they they need um, a, an SBI type player to uh, to further help uh, grow that business and, and perhaps bring it bring it into uh, into the actual real world rather than just uh, on pen and paper. So I, I think if anyone is interested in what we've discussed today. Um, or if they have any ideas that they think SBI may be interested in, uh, you can uh, find our details on the website. And that applies to both, uh, you know, potential partners and also for, you know, people who would like to to join us. We are uh, act, act, I mean, hiring not only uh, in Japan but also globally. So anyone looking for, you know, who is trying to want to do cool things, uh, building enterprise ready. Uh, solutions that are going to be, uh, you know, uh, become the fabric of the financial industry in the first, the next decades. They are more than welcome to reach out to us. Well, I was just going to say uh, our our website is www.sbisecsoul.com. All right, great. Well, thank you, Fernando and Mark, and uh, good luck to SBI. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to Voice of FinTech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.